Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are going to be diving into the book of Ecclesiastes this afternoon. Um, This will be the first in a series, as we will be going verse by verse through a book that oftentimes um, we don't give a lot of time to. Ecclesiastes is a book that we are often afraid of, and in an age of mental health crises, Um, Ecclesiastes reads very familiar in places, as if it could have been written today. And I believe that Ecclesiastes scares us so, because it asks the sort of questions that we are often afraid to ask. We don't want to ask the hard questions. R.C. Sproul um, describes it in this way. Those who put their trust in God and their faith in God and the things of God should never be satisfied with a childish, immature understanding. I mention that, again, because we live in a time that is one of the most anti-intellectual periods of Western Christianity. That is, we are anti-mind. And it's become a virtue amongst Christians to embrace what is called a childlike faith. But this concept of a childlike faith has come to mean, in men- to many people today, what I would call, what Anselm would call, what Augustine would call a childish faith. That is, I don't want to think about the content of my faith. That's a destructive thing that scholars get into. I'm just going to keep it simple, as simple as I possibly can, and not be engaged in any serious study of theology or the Word of God or anything else. I'm just going to keep it simple. And I read that, and I start this way, because Ecclesiastes is very timely. In an age where people are asking hard existential questions, the church has largely not been equipped to answer them. And this bit from R.C. Sproul illustrates part of the problem, that we don't want to think about the hard things, and thus we act like they don't exist. We chalk those up to a lack of faith. In this anti-intellectual Christianity and its refusal to think deeply, about the world has naturally spawned the modern deconstructionism that we are witnessing in the church. And many within the camp that use the word deconstruction are asking questions that the church calls a lack of faith. As such, people that are asking questions oftentimes get alienated from the church and end up reinventing their faith into something more, quote, logical. Um, One such um, writer 
actually writes this um, about the authority of the Bible. And he says, because Christians tend to base their faith on the Bible, they also feel the need to overstate its importance, making it the linchpin for everything they hold dear. Therefore, once you start to doubt their claims that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, the rest of your faith is soon to crumble. Now, while I read that, I do not necessarily agree with that. I affirm the absolute inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, that it is the the complete Word of God. And I, but I also recognize the struggle of people who question these things and don't have people in their churches who can answer those questions. And so in short, I say, let us think deeply about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us. Matthew 22 tells us that the greatest commandment in the law, these are the words of Christ, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. And that word mind in Greek literally means thinking, it's our thoughts. And I, I would parallel that with Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that word for mind um, is more comparable to the brain than it is the, the, the actual act of thinking. And so specifically, our pursuit of God is rooted in truth and in thought. And that said, let us consider these words of Solomon in a book that deals with these existential questions that we're often afraid of, but I believe these questions have answers within the pages of scripture. And specifically, Solomon asks two questions. What is meaning? And why are we here? What is this life? And why is this life? The wh why are things the way they are? And he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? We often are perplexed by the, this opening statement that he starts off with vanity of vanities. And the English language is not always kind to um, biblical words. But in the Hebrew, what he's actually saying is um, hevel which means vapor or smoke. So a more literal rending of this would be something along the lines of vapor of vapors. All is vapor. Uh, what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? Because all is vapor. Um, Solomon addresses himself as the teacher. He reminds the world of his credentials. That if someone should have figured out the secret of life, it should have been him. It should have been Solomon, the richest man in the Eastern world who had access to centuries of ancient wisdom and all of these literary texts. But Solomon shows us that he did not have all the answers. 
And this is largely, Ecclesiastes is a lament of what seems to be a meaningless life. And he encourages us to pursue the true wisdom of God, not his. Um, consider what uh, Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, truth, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the same guy that wrote that wrote Vanity of Vanities. I believe Dr. Bernard Shaw um, sums it up very well. And he states that Solomon is leading the reader through a careful and sometimes painful examination of life under the sun. He wants the reader to see life in all of its complexity, its difficulty, its evanescence, its disappointment, its frustration. The reader must not see the world through rose-tinted spectacles. He must not turn away from a careful consideration of the pains of life and focus only on the joys. And the catchphrase of this book is that word hevel for vapor or smoke. We are not permanent. We are here one moment and gone the next. And the prophet Jeremiah uses the same word to describe idols. Jeremiah chapter 8 says, Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and their foreign idols? And that word that we, where we see idols um, is hevel. We translated it as idols, but more accurately, it's, it's hevel. It's vapor. They're foreign hevel. These pagan hevels. And Solomon then writes that all is like that. Empty and lacking substance. What then is his purpose? What is our purpose? And these are questions that were not simply asked by Solomon hundreds of years ago. These are questions you will find people asking it today. If you Google what is the meaning of life, you're going to find millions of, poss of possibilities of different sites. And this is, this is something people are hunting for. But let us go to the Word of God for answers. And I believe that the answer to what, what is our purpose, what is our meaning, and why is everything vanity, ultimately leads us back to the beginning. Specifically to Genesis 2, with the first people. And these are the words of God concerning the origin of man. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant in the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the, on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Other translations say a living soul. 
a living essence or substance, something that cannot be boiled down any further. But that comes from God. Bertrand Russell, atheist philosopher, once said that behind every philosophy is its own metaphysic. That is, its own idea of what is real and how things are. The Bible tells us how things are with authority as God's word, not ours. This is how things truly are. I don't wear glasses to see the world a certain way. I wear glasses to see the world as it is, to see things as they truly are, undistorted. And this is what the word of God says. God made man in his image out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. That came from God, and God gave that to man for a purpose. We keep reading in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat it, eat from it, you will cert certainly die. And then the Lord God said, It was not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought forth to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord caused deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her out to the man. And the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. But the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. And so here we have the model of how man was to live. In a garden, relying on God's sole providence and cultivating that which God had made. And God gave him marriage and, and a specific spouse. For it was not good for the man to be isolated. He needed fellowship, companionship. And there was no shame in this world. And that this man and this woman shared a perfect intimacy. That their relationship was not spotted by... Um, egos and selfishness and hurt feelings that there was no shame and they were they knew each other perfectly but things didn't last that long if we jump down to chapter three um they do eat from that tree but they don't die and this is what happens after they eat from the tree then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock 
and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and you will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. What was good, what started as a good thing, was broken by sin and pride. And we have become disconnected from the river of goodness, which flows from the character of God. Um, St. Augustine of Hippo puts it this way, In fact, thy whole creation derives its existence as a separate being from the fullness of thy goodness, in order that a good thing, which would be of no advantage to thee, nor be something emanating as an equal from thee, might yet with its creation by thee was possible not fail to be. That ultimately we derive our being from this God to whom we have become estranged. So in short, everything is vanity because we are cut off from that river of goodness. The, the ground is cursed, God said. So everything is vanity. What does man gain by that toil? Nothing. Because all is broken by sin. We have become temporary hollow beings like those idols because of sin. Our lives, in order to have lasting meaning, they have to be reunited with this good God who made us. And St. Paul explains this to Epicurean philosophers in Acts chapter 17 in this way. And he writes in verse 22, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar in which was described to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The, um, these philosophers that he has encountered on Mars Hill, that they had an altar that they called the altar of the unknown God. And they believed that, the, that whatever God had made the world, he had not revealed himself to us. And so they were worshiping a God that could not be known. And what may have been ruled as a grand mystery that is dependent on the individual, Paul says has been made known, that God is not mysterious in that he can be known. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in shrines made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. And he did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being.
as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Since then we are his offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone, by raising him from the dead. So, despite our separation from God and our sin, we are deriving from God our life, our emotion, and being. The things that philosophers of many centuries ago, that these individuals would have known well, Thales said that these are the things that made us real. Live, move, and have our being. And Paul appropriates all that to what God does, that God has been gracious to give us, despite our um, distortion, that we are still deriving our being from God. He provides a way for us to be made new in the meantime, and restored to that original state with meaning and purpose. Verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. God sent himself in the person of Christ to suffer the death that we should have lived, that we should have died in our sinful state. And, and he satisfied the just punishment for our sin. And Jesus Christ builds the bridge that brings us back to God, the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The Apostle Paul later writes, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as a mirror, as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord in our being, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, that is, from the Lord who is the Spirit. So then, back to our text. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? All is but vapor apart from God. We toil, we literally suffer, the text says, on this earth trying to make things last and have meaning apart from him. We are dead in sins and trespasses, and yet God in his grace allows us to derive our being from the same one to whom we are estranged. And I implore you today, repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and be welcomed into the perfect family of God. And what does that look like? I, I will leave with question number one of the Heidelberg Catechism, which sums it up quite well. And it says, what is thy only comfort in life and death? The answer, 
that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab, links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it, I'm not selling it, it is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture, and it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.